0: This is my Bible, it is the Word of God, and it is the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am, seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. So I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated if you have a Bible. We are going to be in John chapter 5 this morning. And we are in this series, The Miracles of the New Testament, and we come to the 18th miracle by our reckoning, Jesus heals an invalid at Bethesda. To me, this is one of the, you know, I hate to even use the phrase, uh, more important miracles of the New Testament. But it is important for several reasons. So today, we're going to deal with I guess you'd call them some theological aspects of this miracle, how it happened, why it happened. And then next Sunday's Mother's Day. Don't miss Mother's Day. Uh, Pastor Sue will be speaking at nine o'clock. Christina Hill will be speaking at 11 o'clock. And then two weeks from today, we're going to be right back here in John 5, and we're going to deal with this miracle from a different perspective. So what we're doing in 2023 is we're walking through the miracles of the New Testament. We're looking for patterns and principles because if we could learn to apply the patterns and the principles from the miracles in the New Testament to our own lives, we could live our lives and hardly have an unmet need and hardly have a sick day at all. John chapter 5, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there, one who, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Tell your neighbor that's a long time. Tell the neighbor on the other side that's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him the most outrageous and ridiculous question, and we're going to deal with this this morning. Do you want to get well? Do you will? Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. "'Pick up your mat and walk.' "'At once the man was cured. "'He picked up his mat and walked. "'The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. "'And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "'It is the Sabbath. "'The law forbids you to carry your mat.' "'But he replied, "'The man who made me well said to me, "'Pick up your mat and walk.' "'So they asked him, "'Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk?' "'The man who was healed had no idea who it was, "'for Jesus had slipped Away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And Faith Christian Center may very well be the only church in America today where those words will be uttered Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, What a punk. But the Bible deals with this in the same gospel, John's gospel, that many, they, they, they were afraid to put their faith in Jesus for fear of what the Pharisees would do to them. And this is what religion does. The man went away. I mean, I'm telling you, if, <laughs> I'm not trying to be offensive, but I mean, it wouldn't matter to me. I mean, if I'd been an invalid 38 years, it wouldn't matter to me who it was that uh, healed me. I I wouldn't go rat them out. Dear Lord God, I grew up in Detroit. You didn't rat in Detroit. The worst beating I ever took in my life was because of not ratting out. This is a total side journey. (laughs) So I'm sitting there in junior high school at Butcher Junior High School, and uh, we had a you know, it was pretty much a white area, but we had this young black kid in class. His name was Russell, and he sat in front of me in this class. And he, you know, we were kids. We were young. We were stupid. So he tears up this piece of paper and blows it, and it goes everywhere. And the teacher turned, and of course, it had to be my fault because everything is my fault. And Gene picked it up. I said, I'm not going to pick it up. I didn't, I didn't do it. Well, who did it? Oh, I'm not saying this is Detroit. You did not rat. Anyway, this went on for a few minutes, and she said, if you don't pick it up, I'm going to send you down to the principal's office. I said, well, you got to do what you got to do. And, man, this guy, he was like this 300-pound, the assistant principal, 300-pound guy. He had had a, a paddle and shop class made, must have been two-foot long, one-inch thick oak, and drilled so he could swing it faster. And he he reared back and let me have it. He said, You gonna go pick up that paper? I said, No, sir. Then he gave me another one. And uh, but you know you didn't rat, not where I grew up. So it's not in the notes at all, <laughs> but gratitude is one of the biggest untapped powers that Christians ignore. Gratitude. To be grateful to the one that won you. To be grateful to the one that was used. No man can heal you. Now, he was the son of man. He could heal. But no man can heal you, but to be grateful to the one God used to heal you. To be grateful to the one who showed you the way. So you thought my story had no point to it, but it did have a point to it. And that is gratitude. Everybody say gratitude. Gratitude. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Imagine trying to kill a man for healing the sick. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, I don't see why that's a big issue, because I call God my father. I mean, actually, if, if they had understood their own theology from the book of Moses, God was the, all of their, was father to all of them. Can you see that? The bottom line is, he was doing what they could not do, and that's the beef. And it, it goes on even, to, even today in the ministry. You know, people who roundly criticize us who are in the ministry are people who think this way. We're doing what they can't do, so they criticize. Rather than come to us and say, now how do you do these things? They don't, they're not interested in learning. They just want to criticize. Now we're not going to say too much about the Pool of Bethesda. Suffice it to say that it was probably a hot spring which had become a site for pagan ritual and worship. And Jesus chose this site and this man. Now, somebody might be thinking, you've heard sermons on this before, and the ministers might have talked about the angel stirring the water and how it was God's one of God's methods to heal. The reason I have chosen to set that thinking completely aside is there's nothing like it anywhere in 66 books of the Bible. There's, no, there's, no, there's not anything related to it anywhere in the Bible, so I just set it aside. Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And Jesus chose this site and this man to purposefully heal a man on the Sabbath day. In other words, in other words, and you see this, this is why theologians don't like the Gospel of John. I love them all. This is why theologians don't like the Gospel of John, because John Consistently record, recorded this running theological battle between Jews, Jesus, and the Pharisees, and the bottom line is: there's no other way to read this miracle but this. He picked a fight with them on purpose. He picked a fight with them on purpose. This healing was a statement by God about the importance of people versus days and rules and holidays and regulations. Say it out loud. God cares about people. Say it again. God cares about people. people. So Jesus purposefully healed this man on the Sabbath. I mean, the man had been an invalid for 38 years. So what difference would another day have made? Why why didn't Jesus just wait until the next day, a non-Sabbath day, to heal this man? the Jewish religious leaders should have been thrilled about this man who had been an an invalid for 38 years getting healed on any day. See, if, if they had loved people, if they had cared about people, they would have been happy that this man was healed on any day. But see, religious folks put rules and regulations ahead of people religious people have a kind of government worker mentality it's got to be done their way or it's not right and listen this is one reason why you know i'm i'm uh, i'm hopeful for a revival in the coming days and this is why i'm seeding these thoughts along the way that when revival comes things happen that you're not anticipating they're not normal they're not typical they're not usual And you have to give the Holy Spirit leeway. You just cannot run a a service trying to control everything. Because when God moves, he doesn't come and ask me for permission. And he doesn't come ask you for permission on what he's about to do. Can you see that? So we have to be open. The main thing is that people get saved. People get set free. People get healed. People get delivered. That's what's important. Because it's all about people. Jesus purposefully healed this man on the Sabbath day to challenge the ideas that were current at the time and now about the secular nature of disease and healing. You see, they were saying it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath because to them in their way of thinking, healing was a secular activity. And by purposefully healing this invalid on the Sabbath, Jesus was challenging that idea and saying healing is not a secular activity. Healing is a spiritual activity. Now, I need to clear something up. Last Sunday, I made reference that We don't operate exactly like Jesus did. We just want people well. People come to us and they tell us their troubles in the fellowship atrium. And if we know of some natural cure or some natural help, we'll tell them about it. But then on the other hand, we'll lay hands on the sick. In other words, we do both. And I did not mean to diminish or to make small the fact that Jesus only ministered to the sick spiritually. The point is that was his calling. That was his purpose. That's why he came. So he wasn't going around Judea telling them about vitamin D. Can I get an amen? Amen. And I don't even know 2,000 years ago that they knew what vitamin D was. So I was not trying to uh, cast uh, shade on his work and his ministry. I was just pointing out that when Jesus approached sickness and disease, he approached it from a spiritual basis. His posture was spiritual. He never did chiropractic. uh, uh, He never tried to uh, do, uh, you know, chiropractic uh, uh, help on somebody. He never told anybody to get more rest at night. That was not his function. That's not his purpose. That's not what he did. He, he, He approached sickness and disease from a spiritual position and posture. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because we don't even give room or time or consideration for the spiritual. 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. And when we get a headache, we don't consider that maybe it has a spiritual source. Or when we have pain in our body, maybe it has a spiritual source. Or when there's something amiss in our body, maybe it has a spiritual source. Because Jesus dealt with all of these issues from a spiritual position. This healing on this day was designed by Jesus to show them that healing was sacred enough to be done on the Sabbath day and that healing the sick was an essential part of his spiritual ministry. I mean, why did he tell this man later Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What has sin got to do with the body? Talk to me. What has sin got to do with the body? Well, apparently a lot because he told this man to stop sinning or something worse might come upon him. Now, many people today have similar ideas to the Jews of 2000 years ago. That is, if you say too much about healing, if you say too much about your body, you are unduly exalting the importance of the body. In this healing, we also see the folly of the things that men depend upon for healing. I said the folly of the things that men depend upon for healing. And when Jesus undertook the healing of this invalid, he paid no attention to the pool. He made no reference to the pool of Bethesda. There were so many people gathered there at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says that the Jews had built five porches or colonnades or awnings to give shade to all the people who are waiting around this pool. Five porches full of all kinds of people waiting for an angel to stir the waters, the blind, the deaf, the crippled. Now, we're discussing the folly of the things that men depend upon for healing. Imagine sitting there for years by that pool, Waiting for an angel to stir the water so that maybe, just maybe, you could be the first person down into the water. Because the superstition was that on occasion an angel would stir the water and the first person into the water would be healed. Now you know and I know it most likely was a hot spring that bubbled on occasion but it had become a religious belief system in the minds of many that had replaced the covenant that God had made with Israel. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind or cruel, but these stories are in the Bible for a reason. When I say stories, these historical accounts of what actually happened are in the Bible for a reason. We know of a former Word of Faith church, And they actually are having faith shot Sundays where people come to church on Sunday and get a booster. I'm talking this morning about the folly of the things men put their faith in to get healed. The folly of the things men put their faith in to get healed. Because the superstition was that on occasion an angel would stir the water and the first person into the water would be healed. You see, that man who had laid there for 38 years waiting for a superstition to heal him already had a covenant of healing. That man who had been an invalid for 38 years and had laid there waiting for an, a superstition to heal him already had a covenant of healing. Exodus 15, 26, he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This was the covenant that man had. I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. In that same covenant Exodus 23 25 and 26 so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land I will fulfill the number of your days In that covenant God the God the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob said to his children Israel I will take sickness away from the midst of you so the man had a healing covenant, but he was ignoring the healing covenant. Deuteronomy seven fifteen, and the Lord will take away from you all the sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. In that covenant, God said to Israel, the Lord will take away from you all sickness. You see, that man who had been an invalid for 38 years and had laid there waiting for a superstition to heal him already had a covenant of healing with God. And Christians do the exact same thing today. Friends, we are healed by faith in God's word. There is no other way. I said, friends, we are healed by faith in God's word. There is no other way. Yeah, but I know somebody went to a meeting and somebody laid hands on them and they were healed. They wouldn't have gone to the meeting. They wouldn't have gotten in line. They wouldn't have had hands laid on them without faith in his word. And how would they have known about doing any of that if they had not read the word or heard the word? Said out loud, we are healed healed. by faith faith. in God's word. word. There There is no other way. But it is the nature of man to look for other mystical or spooky ways of being healed. So many of God's people are waiting on God to initiate something, but God already initiated something 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the whipping post and when Jesus went to the cross. So get your eyes off everything else and get your eyes on Jesus and his word. I said, get your eyes off everything else and get your eyes on Jesus and his word. Now, all those five porches were full of people waiting or hoping. But Hebrews 11:1 one says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, I can hope the Rangers win this year. I can hope the Cowboys win this year, or I can hope that I'll live long enough to go in the rapture, but I have no evidence for any of that happening. And because I have no evidence for any of that happening, I am limited to the realm of hope. And that's where the vast majority of people live with regard to how their children will turn out or their finances or their health. They are just a hoping. But Hebrews 11, one says, Now faith is being sure. How can we be sure? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How can we be certain? How can we be sure? How can we be certain? Well, we can be sure and we can be certain when we have evidence. So how can I convert my hope into faith? I said, how can I convert my hope into faith? I must have evidence to convert my hope into faith. And my evidence is the word of God. My evidence is what God has said. Numbers 23:19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act as he promised and not fulfill 1 Samuel 15, 29, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God said in Psalm 89, 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. David said in Psalm 119, 160, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17:17 and said, Father, thy word is truth. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So God, I'll tell you never, but buckle your seatbelt. It's going to get bumpy. So God, unlike Fauci and Burks and Trump and Biden, cannot lie. I said, God, unlike Fauci and Burks and Trump and Biden, cannot lie. Amen. Say it out loud: God, God cannot, cannot lie. lie. I convert my hope into faith on the basis of evidence, and my evidence is the Word of God. I said, I can I convert my hope into faith. based on evidence, and my evidence is the word of God. What has God said? And this is exactly what Abraham did. He converted his hope into faith on the evidence of God's word. Romans Romans 4, 17 and 18, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. "...against all hope Abraham in hope believed, against all hope Abraham in hope believed, against all hope Abraham in hope believed..." He converted his hope into faith and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him just as it had been said to him just we should be embarrassed because here's a man there might have been the book of Job but what help would that be there's a man with no Bible here's a man with no Holy Spirit and he clung to what God had said to him well We also now, we have God speaking to us, but on top of that, and more importantly, we have the written word of God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. On top of that, we have Jesus. On top of that, we have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God forgive us for our unbelief. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we have God's word, we have God's promise that what worked for Abraham will work for us, picking up in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and this Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do What he had promised, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. We have not paid enough attention to this. When we take God at his word, when we put God's word ahead of man's word, when we attach our faith to what God has said, when we refuse to turn to the left or the right one degree, When we approach the Word of God like a junkyard dog and we lay a hold of it and we refuse to let go of the Word of God, God considers us to be righteous. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not only for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Tell your neighbor if God's word worked for Abraham, it'll work for me. Tell the neighbor on the other side if God's word worked for Abraham, it'll work for me. Now, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to do what Abraham did, and we don't want to do what what God does. We don't want to do what Abraham did, and we don't want to do what God does, and that is call those things which be not as though they were. You've heard this story a thousand times, but some of you all still haven't gotten it. We started construction on the starter church up there at I-30 and Fielder Road, August of 19... 87, October, I think it was the 4th, 1987, we had the stock market crash. That didn't affect any of our people. Nobody had any money, but it affected the economy. There was a nasty recession that followed. We moved into the building up there at I-30, second Sunday of April 1988, and went right into this nasty recession, and we weren't making it. By that time, you know, I'd, been connected to Kenneth Hagan and John Osteen, and so, man, I just made up my mind. Got exposed to Fred Price, and that was June of 88. I just made up my mind, man. We gotta, we gotta do something drastic. We gotta do something radical, man. We just, we just have gotta find a new gear. And it was Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Sounds very elementary today, but I'm telling you what. It, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. I... I hate worry. If you're here this morning and you got worry going on in your heart, you have my sympathy. I hate it. Can't sleep, can't rest. Your every waking moment is filled with thoughts of what could happen, what might happen. I hate it. I hate worry. Hallelujah. That's why I make my business to stomp the devil and get him out of my life and get him out of my body and get him out of my money, because he is the worry. Co- he is the w- cause of worry. Amen. And so we started saying all of our needs are met, and I got criticized for it. People would, you know, say people might have known something. You know, people talk what they know. They talk about, you know, they might have, you know, Pastor, you're lying. You, you know, that's not true. All your needs aren't met. I'd stand right up there on Sunday morning. And I'd say, all of our needs are met. And the devil would be whispering in my ear, you're lying, you know you're lying. But, and, and I went round and round on how to justify what I was doing, and I came to this. I really wasn't even that much into Romans 4 at that point, but I came to this. How can I say about my life what God has said about my life and tell a lie? That's what I came to. And then later, of course, I got more into Romans 4, that this is who we serve, who we serve the God who calls things that are not as though they were. Those things which be not as though they were. Hallelujah. <coughs> we got our needs met, and then I got tired. I got tired, and I heard the prophet of God up there and. Tulsa, Oklahoma, one day say, be, you got to be careful with Philippians 4.19 because you can get stuck there. Man, he had my attention. But he didn't say anything else, so I had to do my own homework. I had to find out, well, now, there, in other words, needs met. That's great, right? But if your needs are met, right, you get tired of that. Well, then I, I hunted and searched the Bible and came up with other verses. And so, you know, people thought I was crazy. You can't relate to this because you think I'm crazy when you walk in the door. So... <laughs> In other words, if you had sat there in 1987 at the hotel and then moved with us over to the new building in 1988, you would have thought, well, he wasn't crazy, but he's crazy now. Because I'm saying all of our needs are met. People knew all of our needs weren't met. And then, then, then they show up one Sunday and I'm saying, we're being made rich in every way so we can be generous on every occasion. And you know, it was like, man, he has lost his mind. How long are you going to sit there and hear the Word of God and rely on a superstition? How long are you going to sit there and hear the Word of God and rely on what your previous preacher told you? How long are you going to sit there and hear the Word of God and rely on your opinion? There's no power given unto man, but the word of God. And when we, like a junkyard dog, lay a hold of the word of God with a tenacity that this is mine, and if he didn't want me to know about it, he sure shouldn't have put it in writing, but I know about it, and it's mine, and I'm not going to accept any other outcome or possibility, then God credits it to us as righteousness. Say it out loud. Faith in the word of God is righteousness. Five porches filled with people hoping for an angel to stir the water so that maybe, just maybe, they could be first into the water and doubtless most, if not all, went on a hope and right down to the grave. But you see, there's a difference between faith and hope. Hope is looking to the future, whereas faith is now. I said hope is looking to the future whereas faith says it is it is mine now I have it now say it out loud it is mine now is mine. I have it, now. I have it now. Faith now faith is now I have it now, have it, now. It, it is mine, it is mine. It is mine. I, have it I have it now see hope is a good waiter but a poor receiver and there They were on that day, five porches filled with people waiting, and here comes Jesus. Five porches filled with people waiting, the blind, the lame, the halt, and here comes Jesus. See, the test of faith is it's always present, and faith takes the blessing now. This is how you can tell whether you're in faith or not, and this is how you can tell whether others are in faith or not. The test of faith is it's always present, And faith takes the blessing now. Hope, very often though, is mistaken for faith. Hope is waiting, whereas faith receives it now. Hope is waiting, whereas faith takes it now. There is something else at play here, and that is the folly and the helplessness of leaning on others. So there they were that day, five porches filled with people waiting, and here comes Jesus. And Jesus said to the man, do you want to get well? A seemingly nonsensical question. And how did the man answer Jesus? Watch it now. The revelation's blinding. How did the man answer Jesus? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. The folly of what men put their faith in to get well. I have no one to help me. And there it is, the folly and the helplessness of leaning on others. And so many today do the exact same thing, expecting healing through the help of others and paralyzing all of their own strength and power. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I think the King James says, I have no man to help me. Look into man. Look into man. Looking to man. You know, when we came back from... Missionary work in Kenya, we had every intention of pioneering this church under the auspices of the denomination we went to Kenya with, but some local guys saw to it that that didn't happen, and we we were happy, we were fine. And so actually, the missionary, the day we, our last day in Nairobi, our kind of a mentor in missionary work, Wayne Turner told us, that if he had it all to do again, he would pioneer an independent church and do missions out of it. So that was in our minds. And so we pioneered this church independent. We've never been affiliated with any denomination. But the point is, I knew no help was coming from anywhere. Can you see that? From the, from day one, I knew there was no help coming from anywhere. So Sue and I learned how to look to God. We learned how to... to put our faith in God and not look to any man. But in the King James, if I'm not mistaken, he said, sir, I have no man to help me. We did a series up at I-30 called Walking Independently in Financial Covenant with God. It seems to be something that people have trouble doing, that I'm not going to look to the government and I'm not going to look to my daddy and I'm not going to look to this person over here and and I'm not going to... uh, try and mooch off my brothers. So imagine he was laying there an invalid of 38 years talking to the son of God and his eyes were on man. I want you to see him. I want you to see him in your mind's eye, five covered colonnades filled with the blind and the halt and the lame. Waiting, putting their faith in superstition that an angel's gonna stir the water in this pool and whoever gets down there first. And if you got blind and you got people with various maladies, how is a cripple ever gonna get in the water first? And in the midst of all of that, here comes God. He's talking to God. He's talking to God and he says, but, but everybody here's probably done it. Father, no one will help me. (laughs) I I can't get anybody to help me. Talking to God and his eyes are on man. Get your eyes off a man and get your eyes on God. Get your eyes off a man and get your faith on God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But but Father, they said they would help me. Get your eyes off of what somebody promised you and get your eyes on what God has promised you. Because God cannot lie. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus said to the man, do you want to get well? Real faith works through a decided and firm will. In the King James, Jesus said to the man, "Wilt thou be made whole? Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Do you want to get well? Do you will it? Do you will it? Will you be made whole? This expression is the real element of effective faith. We probably all wondered, why in the world did he ask these people? It happened over and over and over and over and over. Jesus would ask these people, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Will thou be made whole? See, real faith works through a firm and decided will, but faith is not mere will power. but its seat and its region is the will. You have to will to believe. You have to will to receive. The will is the mightiest thing that God ever gave to man. You know, I was driving down the road uh, about a week back, and I tried my best, but I missed that squirrel. (laughs) They don't have a will. Why why do squirrels act squirrely? It's genetically hardwired into them. The greatest gift God gave man is the will. There's not a creature on earth that has a will except man. And no man can receive much from God without a firm and decided choice. Joshua twenty four fifteen. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose for yourselves. You choose. You decide. The will is the mightiest thing that God has given to man, and no man can receive much from God without a firm and decided will. Revelation 22, 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst, come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. We read the New Testament, we come across the word will and we tend to ignore it. Maybe we ought not ignore it. Maybe we ought to go back study everywhere in the New Testament where this word is found. You decide, you choose. The will is the mightiest thing that God has given to man. And no man can receive much from God without a firm and decided will. And so Jesus said to the man at the pool, will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? We must foresee this, that it is his will for us to be healed and to be made whole. It is his will to make us whole. That's not the question. Preachers have made it the question, but it's not the question at all. Because the will of God is known from The Bible, the will of God is known from the four Gospels. We know the will of God on healing from the four Gospels. Preachers have made that a question, but it's not a question. It is certainly not the question. The question is what Jesus asked this man, "Wilt thou be made whole? The decision is not God's. The decision is not the devil's. The decision is the individual's. It is his will to make us whole. So the only question that remains is, is it our will to be made whole? You see this exact same thing in Isaiah 419. If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. One translation says, if you would only obey me, I would make you rich. The will of God is that we be blessed and rich is relative. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I can vacation where I want, drive what I want under warranty and live where I want, I may not be rich by the world's standards, but I feel rich. It's our decision. It is his will to make us whole. So the only question that remains is, is it our will to be made whole? Well, then we must claim it for ourselves. We must make the decision that I will take what he has provided. It's mine. I'll have it. it. Actually, it's mine. I have it now. Matthew eight seventeen says Jesus took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. 1 Peter two twenty four says by whose stripes you were healed. This is all past tense. So I, I sure wish the Lord would do something. Well, He already did two thousand years ago. He sent Jesus to the whipping post. He sent Jesus to the cross. The work's done. If somebody walks the aisle here this morning and gets saved, guess what? Jesus does not go back to the cross. Why not? Because the work is done. Our job is to accept what He has done, believe what He has done, and take it as ours. Same thing with healing the work's done. Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? First, see that it is God's will that you be made whole, that you be healed, then claim it for yourself. Claim it with a strength and a tenacity that carries along with it all the power of your being, and don't be wishy-washy about it. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession. Homologia, to say the same thing, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, without wavering, without wavering. Listen. Listen. This generation is without excuses. If men can say they're girls, and if girls can say they're boys, then why are you afraid to say that you are a child of God, that you are blessed by God, that you have been healed by God? I mean, I'm telling you what, it's time to stand up. It's time to be counted. It's time to stop being wishy-washy. Real faith will trust God to the end. Be like Abraham, who did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. David Wilkerson used to say that the hardest part of faith is the last 30 minutes. Sue and I... Learn how to stand alone with God, and most people seem to have trouble doing that. So learn to stand with God. Learn to stand alone with God. Learn to take God at his word. You should have no trouble doing that after taking Trump at his word or after taking Fauci at his word or after taking Burks at her word. Learn to take God at his word. There are actually people out here who believe that if Trump got back into office, he would build the wall and drain the swamp. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But people put their faith in that. Well, pastor, are you saying he was not better than the alternative? Well, sure, he was better than the alternative. But to put your faith in that is uh, ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Dear Lord, if they only had half as much faith in what God has said, they would be perfectly well in their bodies and they'd be millionaires to boot. Jesus asked the man, will you be made whole? And that's what we ought to do before we lay hands on anyone. Ask them, when I lay hands on you, will you be made whole? Think about what I'm saying. We ought to do this. Before we lay hands on anyone, say to them, when I lay hands on you, will you be made whole? Well, I I hope I will. That's not faith. I know the Lord's gonna heal me sometime, Pastor Gene. That's not faith. Will you be made whole? See, faith takes the position it's mine, I have it now. That's awful rugged, Lord. Somebody's saying to themselves, yeah, but I can't do that because you could die doing that. Well, they estimate 600,000 or more died taking Fauci's instructions. The least risk is to believe God. Will thou be made whole? Or are you just a hoping? Will thou be made whole? Shout it out loud, it's mine. mine. I have it now. Shout it out loud, it's mine. mine. I have it now. And that ought to be your posture and your position of faith, no matter what you're believing God for, getting your credit card, paid off, getting a growth out of your body, getting pain out of your body. Listen, you got to be tough about it because sickness and disease can possibly have a physical cause or reason, but sickness and disease can also have a spiritual cause or reason, but a spiritual cure will fix sickness and disease no matter what the reason. Jesus put to naught every work of Satan on Calvary's cross. Colossians 2.15, one translation says that Jesus put to naught every work of Satan on Calvary's cross. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is he who, everyone who's hung on a tree. Listen, so... When something comes against us, I wish I would known this right here 30 years ago. It'd be invaluable. I'd I'd give an extra million dollars today if I could send this back to myself through time. And that is this, that when the least little thing attacks your body, you go to war. And you drive Satan out. And you drive that pain out. And you drive those symptoms out. And you tolerate nothing. Because we have been given authority. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. Do we believe that? And nothing shall harm you. Do we believe that? Or is that why we have all this backup in case the word of God fails? These are the end times. The Antichrist is surely alive on the earth this morning. And what is going on, I do not see God permitting it to go on very much longer. And I say without apology on May 7, 2023 in this place, it's time to put aside faith in men It's time to put aside every superstition and it's time to believe God and to take God at his word. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's all stand up. Let's bow our heads. I want to give you an opportunity to make your decisions and commitments for the Lord this morning. You might be here this morning and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life individually and personally. Jesus said, John 3, you must be born again. He didn't say it was a good idea. He didn't say it was highly recommended. He said, you must be born again. Revelation 3, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Again, the decision is ours. The choice is ours. It's up to us. How many this morning would say, Pastor, I've never made Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior individually and personally, but I want to do so this morning. Pastor, as we wrap up this message, I want you to pray with me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to live for God from this day to my last day. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, lift a hand up. Lift it up high enough to where I can see it. We're going to pray. There may be others here this morning, you're away from God, you're backslidden, you're not living for the Lord like you once did. You're not living for the Lord like you promised him you would. The Word of God says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many this morning would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I'm not living for the Lord like I know I should. But I don't want to remain in a backslidden condition. Pray for me, Pastor. I want to recommit my life to God. I want to live for Him from this day to my last day. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, lift a hand up. Lift it up high enough to where I can see it. We're going to pray. For the sake of those who are watching online and maybe are wanting to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ or a recommitment, everybody in the room, let's pray this prayer out loud. Father God, time's gone by. I've gone my own way, done my own thing, and I've lived for self. But today I turn my life around. I repent and I give you my life. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive me of my sins Wash me, cleanse me, purify me, sanctify my life. Take out of my heart anything that would hinder me in my walk with you. And I thank you, Father God, for not rejecting me, but for receiving me unto yourself. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Somebody may wonder, why do we pray the prayer even if nobody has indicated that They want to make a decision. Back at the hotel when we were pioneering, 84 to 87, we had an elderly woman come, start coming to the church. She brought her son and his daughter. And she tried and tried and tried to get her husband to come to church, and he wouldn't come. Years later, he told me this story that he actually owned the building where Kenneth Copeland had his first office over on I-35. Rented, He was Kenneth Copeland's landlord. When Kenneth Copeland moved out of there and came to Arlington, he rented those offices to Jerry Savelle. He was Jerry Savelle's landlord. So he had been witness to. There's no doubt he had been witness to. But he had resisted every effort anybody ever made to win him to Christ. And part of the reason was he was a lifelong alcoholic. Lifelong alcoholic. And, of course, he never thought that I'd get that building built up there at I-30 and North Fielder Road. So he told his wife, he said, well, I'll tell you what, if that preacher ever gets that building built, I'll go. And so we moved in there the second Sunday of April, 1988. And it was a a week or two later. I don't think it was Easter Sunday the day we moved in, but it was short, very quickly. And here he comes. And I give the altar call. And people were saved that day, I know that. But I had everybody pray the prayer, just like we do. He told me later, he said, preacher, he said, I had no intention of getting saved. He said, I had no intention of giving up alcohol. He said, it was the last thing on my mind. He said, I just promised my wife, if you ever got that building built, I'd go. And he said, and you had everybody pray the prayer And he said, so, he said, I prayed the prayer. And he said, I walked out the doors of that church, and he said, I never wanted another drink. So he said, I fooled around on the banks of the kingdom of God and slid in. (laughs) Hallelujah. And so we never know who's watching. We never know maybe who's here that will pray the prayer. But I know this. God is wonderful. And if we'll give him the opportunity, he will do wonderful things in our lives. Amen. Amen.